thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday, which is good because that's the time we normally broadcast, quite honestly. RS1, or any time you want, uh, on the Radio Show Limited podcast archive. Been an absolutely scorching day today here in the United Kingdom. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, And it's a beautiful evening now. All of the windows are thrown wide open. So if you hear a bit of birdsong, then, well, you know, you're just going to get that, frankly. I've toyed with the idea of being in the garden tonight and running out a long cable, but haven't quite done that. Maybe maybe next week uh, for that. Up in London on this uh, Series 15, Episode 25 tonight on the 24th of June. Uh, is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features, uh, well, nearly all of them. We don't have a news in Spanish this week, unless uh, something okay. pops up at the very last minute. Well, that will please some people who shockingly don't like it. Well, the feedback we got uh, last week when we had it quite early on in the show was overwhelmingly positive. And that just goes to prove, doesn't it? You cannot please all of the people all of the time. Uh, Unless, of course, you're Nick Damon. He who can't will please be anyone ever. No, he's pl- he pleases all of the people all the time. Because the only person he's out to please is himself, because it's all about him. <laughs> we'll have more from Nick, or we'll have some from Nick, some from Nick. in We've a moment. Nothing yet. No, no, I've kept it, deliberately kept him faded down because I was worried what he might reply uh, to that. Do we have guests tonight? Uh, we have Nick Damon, we have Shay Adam. Excellent. Um, we have... Um, oh, Cotton, Andrew Cotton. I have Michael Cotton stuck in my head at the moment there, and I thought, no, it's definitely not The younger of the Cotton. Cotton. It's yes. Cotton Bud tonight. We have Cotton Bud tonight in our big interview. Andrew Cotton, the editor of... Race Car Engineering will be joining us. Less of an interview, more of a discussion. Well, I was going to say, yes, it's, it's, it's a bit of a big question tonight. So I expect your team in place. What next for DTM? And I'm, I'm not sure we'll be able to adequately answer that tonight, but your suggestions, please, on at Specutainment. Uh, we'll be looking at all forms of motorsport, Tim, as well, won't we? Yes. Good. Uh, and... I'll, uh, we'll have a bit of F1 news. We've got a, quite a bit of sports car news uh, this evening. And we'll be looking forward to the return of the Nürburgring 
Endurance Series or the Nürburgring Langstrecken Series. So depending on whether you are looking at the English website or the German web website, it's either the NES or the NLS. It's what we used to call... It's the, it's the, it's the artist formerly known as VLN. So uh, that's, that is uh, coming up later on in the show. Uh, we had some virtual racing at the weekend with an extraordinary 8,000-plus drivers taking part in the iRacing 24 hours of... Sorry? Have you not finished counting them yet? Not quite, no. There's a few of them that I think... I, I think it's, it's more than... Eight, I, I got to 8,027, and then I had to stop for the show. And I have still got a couple of pages left to go. Extraordinary stuff. Uh, and that was the iRacing 24 hours of uh, Le Mans... Uh, powered by VCO, and we'll have winners from all three classes in our VCO victory lane uh, tonight. And I'll, we, we took them uh, after the race, and I'll tell you there's some very tired-sounding people in that, unsurprisingly. Uh, let's quickly run through a few parish notices then, and apologies for absence or not. Uh, hello to Sarah Rigby. was hoping we might have Darren Turner on the show tonight. Uh, we couldn't get him today. He did have a bit of an announcement, but he's not allowed to talk about it quite yet. So we're going to try and get him on the show for next week uh, with his development work for BTCC. Kevin Payne says, looking forward to listening to a live show. Looks like another busy one. Are we thinking of redoing an F1 preview? I think that's an excellent idea, Kevin. And therefore, Nick Damon, who is going to struggle to shoehorn us into his busy schedule at the moment. We'll find some time. <laughs> oh, you couldn't resist. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Uh, and uh, we will, he will shoehorn us into his busy schedule. So we will have a little bit of a, we did this earlier, but it looks a bit different now. And in fact, that gave me another idea, Kevin, if I'm honest. So we're going to do a, do you remember that American show that was called Soap? Do you remember that, Nick? Yeah, I do. I loved it. It was a classic, wasn't yeah. it? And, and it was... Previously, on Soap. Sorry, can you hear this? Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, yes, it can. Just Have you got an ice cream van outside? It is, yes. No. I want a 99 with monkey's blood, please. Thank you. So we're thinking about doing a... Earlier this season, IMSA started at Daytona, and here's what happened. Since then, not a lot. So, as we come back to Daytona, what will so-and-so do this? Will so-and-so do that? You'll find out on the next episode of IMSA WeatherTech Sportscast. So we'll be doing that. So we'll be doing that as well. So I think that's a great idea, Kevin. Uh, EFA is from Jet tonight. We'll be listening to us on our in his early morning walk tomorrow. Hello to Paul Dunk, to Jim Ratton, to Brody soaking up a cold beverage in the sun after a hard day Spitfire servicing. And by the way, that's not a euphemism. Brody services at least a couple of Spitfires. More about that later. Uh, hello to Screezilla who's listening tonight. Jonathan Iezo, EFA work um, calls. Call. Uh, really enjoyed. Last week show, but I hope Nick got whatever it was out of his sister before today. Too much sugar for him. We're holding the sugar back tonight. Hello to Matt Hunter, who will be on the air tomorrow night for the Torah Radio Show. 
to Mia Call, who's listening in tonight, to Stephen, as well to Austin Hilliard Racing, who are listening in tonight. Apologies for absence for Matthew Hindman, listening in my dad's back garden, uh, where uh, outside of Manchester it's slightly too hot. Who says it always rains in Manchester? Uh, I hope I can have a pleasant evening in the garden. Uh, Donald says, looking forward to all the usual features from Indiana. Uh, wants me. Uh, and uh, Than is listening tonight as well. Rob Jainer, uh was good to meet a work-related and marshalling link too. Today, David Raleigh uh, is listening from the home office. Football off, because I don't want to watch them. No distractions. Uh, Dave Alcock saying there was 44 simultaneous Le Mans last weekend. And the podium was still clear and quick to figure out than combined WEC and Sebring 12 hours all those years ago. You're not wrong, uh, actually. Stephen Gardner just listening for the live show. Football starts in less than 10 minutes. Be a nil-nil draw. Empty shoebox. No apologies for entries tonight. I'm getting opportune. I'm getting punted at every opportunity in Grand Turismo, so I've given up on listening live. Uh, a 10-mile ride after walk for work for Sir Phil. He's listening in now. Jonathan Main says, how about Group 5 for DTM? Yes. Jesse, high noon on the West Coast. The best coast. Really interested for the future of racing. Scott Shaw for sure. Adam Hilby uh, on the show tonight, as well as Dave Alcock, who's listening in. Jill's out of bridge. Jill, thank you very much for introducing me uh, to your friend at the uh, radio distributor. Enjoyed that earlier on this week. And hello to Chris Suku as well. And Serafina Chu. Too blazing hot here in London. Here's the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Our top story tonight. Now, you know that Tim likes a calendar. You do like a good calendar, don't you, Tim? I do. However, not quite a calendar. But how do you feel about a timetable? Timetables are... The uh, inadequate younger brothers of calendars, really, aren't they? <laughs> and this week... We've had a time Oh, last week, brother. ...for an event... Yes, last week. ...which we already knew yes. a little bit about. It was Friday. Um, we already knew a little bit about what was going to happen at Le Mans this year. Uh, yes. But now they've put some meat on the bones, and we know that yeah. uh, we're going to have a lot more free practice than we thought, and a lot less qualifying... A lot less qualifying. A lot um, less qualifying. Now, but Nick still two support races. Yes, go. Uh, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Yeah. Yes. What's the total duration of qualifying at Le Mans normally? Uh, you get six hours. And? You get two hours. No, there's two hours on the, on the, on the Wednesday night, then four hours on the Thursday, isn't it? On the, yeah, six hours. So it normally is. Yeah. And how much have we got this year, Tim? I think we get more than six hours. Do we not have four hours on Wednesday night? No, because the first... No, it's only two. No, the first two, the first two hours on Wednesday... There's four hours. Yeah, we be, have yeah, a, we free, have practice. a practice free practice session yeah. on Wednesday afternoon, and then we have four hours yes. qualifying, don't we? No. No, no, no it's no. only the last two hours. It's only a bit after okay. dinner. Only a bit after dinner have, is qualifying. Then we have afternoon and evening on Thursday. Yeah, it's four no, hours No, 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 just, just, yeah, just... Four hours on Thursday. Two and two on Thursday. It's four hours on Thursday. So what do we do on So six hours normally. There's no, there's nothing on Thursday afternoon for the, for the. It's all support um, stuff. It's all support about, stuff. About six, five o'clock or six o'clock they come out, and yeah. then uh, do two hours, and they have a very short break of an hour, then come out and do two hours, don't they? Correct. Exactly well, they right. Finished till midnight. Yeah, they yes. start late. 
Anyway, anyway, it's just about how many hours it is. You think it's six? It's I a lot. It's ten. No. Never mind. Carry on. Hang on. You, 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 you tell us how, how much it is this year. Nick. Uh, I think it's um, is it an hour? Lower. It's not an hour. Lower. Forty-five minutes. It is indeed forty-five, 45 minutes. minutes. Forty-five minutes plus. Then there's a super poll the following day, isn't there? For half an hour, which is going mm-hmm. to be a, a bun fight, to put it mildly. So yes, it's forty-five minutes. They got they got a ridiculous amount of of, of practice um, on the Thursday because we're not starting on Wednesday anymore. On the Thursday, so they are going to yes, they're going to run that yeah. for is it seven hours we've got on 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 the Thursday? It's a huge amount of practice. All right, last year. Mm-hmm. By the way, Wednesday we had two hours of qualifying from 22 to midnight, mm-hmm. and then we had 19 to 21. That's four in total. And then 22 to midnight, six hours for the win. Um, so, so, so six <laughs> hours down to 45 minutes. So that's that seems very fair. But there is a lot of track time because they're going to get because it's a test day and they're going to get all the qualifying no test day. through. There's no test day. Do we, do we, I take it it's the same number of quali- yeah, the same number of laps to qualify and night laps yes, to qualify and everything correct. else. So here's here's how it happens. Nothing happens um, on track on Wednesday. So that's a big change. That, so we have only scrutineering at the track on Wednesday, the 16th of September, for Le Mans 24 and the Road to Le Mans, from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night for the big show, and from eight till half four for Road to Le Mans. Thursday, Road to Le Mans are on the track at half past eight till half past nine, not that we'll see any of that. Then we've got free practice one at 10 till one, and then lunch from one till two, two till five uh, is free practice two, again for Le Mans. Um, Which runs straight into? Le Mans 24 qualifying at quarter past five till six o'clock. Then there's the official night practice at eight, and whilst everyone else is having dinner, 18.30, so half six till half seven is the second Road to Le Mans free practice. Again, that we won't say anything of. of. And the Porsche Carrera Cup scrutineering is half two till five that day. Friday, from being a day off, goes bonkers. Yes. Half eight, Road to Le Mans qualifying right. till 10 to nine. 20 past nine till half nine. It's like 20 minutes. Yes. That's two and a half laps once you warm at speed. 20, 20 past nine, uh, sorry, 10 past nine till um, 9.30 is RT Road to Le Mans qualifying two. Then we've got free practice four from 10 to 11 for the Le Mans 24. Then half 11 till midday, half an hour, the top six qualifiers from each class, each of the four classes in Le Mans 24 hours is Le Mans Hyperbole. Hyperbole. Uh, and honestly, I absolutely do not envy the poor guys in the TV truck trying to follow everything in half an hour with everybody on the track at the same time, where everybody's under pressure to do a lap, where everybody will be tripping over everybody and getting in each other's way. And everybody, my, my only thing I'll say about that is I'll be very shocked if we ever see any full lap of qualifying yes. because the guys in TV won't be able to look at everything at the same time. And the second thing is everyone will complain that nobody got out of the way or spoiled their lap. Yeah, because there's 20, 24 cars, aren't there? Four lots of six. Correct. So it's it, quite a busy track. But it's the same for everyone. 
Yes, yes, true. Which probably means that we'll have faster... I think we'll probably have faster laps in the night practice yes. than we yeah. do in qualifying. Definitely. And then Miss Lemong can present them with a picture. Yeah. The, Ab- the framed front page of the paper it is. Uh, then after that is the Porsche Carrera Cup free practice. Then we've got the Road to Le Mans Race 1, which I don't expect we'll see anything of. Uh, then we'll get free practice 2 for Porsche and then qualifying to take us through to half past six on Friday, which suggests to me that there will not be a driver's parade. No, it's not going to be one. I think they've said that. Right. There's no driver's parade. Right. I didn't, if I'm honest, I didn't I'm see that. I'm pretty sure I that, they, that was, what was implicit in the whole situation. They are, they are taking the event out of Le Mans. Out, out, of, out, of, out, of the, out of this town and to the track. Yeah, because of the obvious reason. So then Saturday, we've got the Porsche Carrera Cup single race, quarter past nine till ten, which we will see. Road to Le Mans race two, I'm sure we will see that from half eleven till twelve twenty-five. Warm up in between those two. You have missed the warm-up, no. yes. You've missed the warm-up. Oh, sorry. Yes, warm-up is 10.30 to 10.45. Yes. Sorry, 15 minutes? 20 minutes. Uh, 10.30 to 10.50, What's yes. What's the point of that? Yeah, well, we'll just make sure you have it. Well, make sure you... No, it's not. It's going to be 45 minutes. No. Just make sure your gearbox is... Don't... Right, pull up that, that time table you had, John, because I'm sure it's a lot longer than than, than 20 minutes for warm-up. Standby caller. <laughs> I did that Saturday. 0900 to 0945. Thank you. 45 Two minutes, nil. like I said. I know. Two nil, Damon. <laughs> I, am, I am doing most of these things actually in the pit lane. <laughs> He's outstanding tonight. He's on fire. I just remember things from a year ago. Don't ask me next year, because I only had this year in my mind. The grid and start ceremonies at a quarter to one till a quarter past two. And then, of course, for the first time ever, we have a 2.30 start. Yes. And yeah. Do you know the only other time that it's been that anywhere near that early? Do you know when that was? It must have been a football game. 1968. When it was pushed back to September, September and it started at two o'clock, because it was supposed to be four, wasn't it? It was, it was in June. It was late this year. It was an hour later, wasn't it? It always used to be four. It got pushed back, back to five in two thousand and six, which had is it, RSL's uh, first had it year. But it's been at three, three. for most years yeah, since then. But I think it was, I think when when the European Championship was on, it was supposed to be at four, wasn't it? This year, and then, it, then it's moved back to half two. Right, half two. For a number of reasons, although one of the reasons it's moved back it's to gone. half two is now changed yes. because the French Open tennis has now moved and doesn't start until the day after Le Mans for the yes. qualifier and then the weekend after for the main draw. But the ceremonial so finish of the Tour de France will still be on uh, Sunday afternoon from about correct uh, 3pm. So. Uh, so the question is here, to those of you on Tweetage, that's Beckett and to Nick Damon. Yes. Does that materially affect the character and the atmosphere of Le Mans, the, it doesn't affect the race because the race no. is still 24 hours, but does it materially affect the character yes. and the atmosphere of the completely. event? Yes, I mean, it's, but it's, you know, let's say it's right, when I say it completely affects it, there is no element of criticism implied in that because you ha- needs must, it's unique situation. But there is, the whole point about Le Mans is that, that, that strange situation where most of it's happening late in the evening or at night. Um, you get home late, Back to your digs late a couple of nights. You come in early to do the various other things around it, and then you have Friday off. And and to say off, well, obviously we go and do campsite tours and that sort of thing. But it's it's a kind of a, a that that day of freedom inverted commas is is always a weird thing. It's like it's like when we used to um when I used to it still happens obviously it has happened without me believing not for the last twenty years. No. Uh, the Monaco Grand Prix. I mean, of course they practice on Thursday, 
and Saturday, and then there's nothing happening on Friday apart from, as it was in those days, Formula 3000. Um, so it's kind of a weird situation because you obviously you expect a, you know, a, within any sort of multi-day race meet, you build up, don't you? You go, you go practice, 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 qualifying, and race, and you just get bigger, 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 bigger. And having that that gap is always a bit strange. Mm. But yeah, I, mean, I think I think yeah, I think it's very pragmatic, and I kind of, in fairness, I think they 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 are already putting down some very sensible. Uh, groundwork, which should mean that if they get the go-ahead from um, Mr. Macron, they will be able to run the event. President ho- Macron, hopefully, it's Monsieur. Uh, hopefully, with um, some Monsieur level of crowd. Not, whether it be enough level of crowd um, is the next question, isn't it? And uh, we won't know that till the thirtieth of June. June. Yes, exactly. Next Tuesday. It's coming on quite quickly. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. They're 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 forging ahead. Uh, the FIA, yes, uh, <laughs> met uh, remotely Virtually. last week. Yes, they rubber stamped everything. They rubber stamped all the things that we already knew, uh, including the uh, first eight races of the Formula One World Championship calendar. Yes, which is starting just what uh, ooh, nine days to eight days time. Nine days time, yeah. Yes, um, amazing. They have. Uh, gone with uh, Austria, Austria, Hungary, Great Britain, Great Britain, Spain, Belgium and Italy as the names for those. Oh, right, they haven't put down the Styrian Grand Prix and the 70th Anniversary Grand Prix then. Correct. It's fine. They can choose what they want. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the obviously, the uh, yeah, we've discussed it the last three weeks and we will, we'll probably leave it for now, but the intrigue, actually there has been a bit of addition to the intrigue about where the other races will be mm. in Europe. Um, mm. I'm not sure that's, if this is the segue to talk about it, we'll do it later, so let's no, carry we'll with the FIA stuff. Now. Uh, well, because, there was a I mean, the first thing is, Sochi definitely won't be a double header and might not happen at all. Yes, it's interesting that, isn't it? I, I didn't, I'm not quite sure. Did you have a, a reason why it won't be a double header? Uh, no. Mm, yeah, it must be an FIA decision, an F1 decision. Well, they don't want to stay in Russia for that long. But that does actually free up a week, which means that they suddenly they have the option of going to two places that are new, or not originally on the calendar, should I say. Mm. Uh, and after much lobbying um, and now practical lobbying by proving it can be done um, Mugello which I always thought was the outsider just because and which it was, I said was definitely going to happen I oh, know you did it's obviously Ferrari have thrown their weight behind Mugello as, as Italy too rather than Imola and Imola are having to do their own their own lo- lobbying on their own and Ferrari um, went out and did a test, didn't they? Uh, was it yesterday, the day before, um, with uh, both drivers, and they ran a uh, Grand Prix distance both in the 2018 car, which they're quite allowed to do, around Mugello, and they all said it was fabulous. Um, still debatable about how well it will race, but it will look good, and it will be a challenge. But whether it'll be a good r- overtakeable race circuit, I don't know, I personally doubt. Imola apparently has issues with its pit lane exit. Does it? Yes. More so than Ricard did a couple of years ago, when he was absolutely suicidal. Apparently they, so. The, the, if, in fact, I'm pretty certain that just about every single new circuit has had an issue with its pit lane in or out. I, I remember all these new circuits have, have had a had to have a, a, a you know remedy at some point in the first year or, or at the end of the first year to those those two things. What's what, has been the same forever? What's wrong with it? That's what I'm thinking. Like it, it, it's worked for them b- before and works for other championships, so I'm not sure what they're... I mean, you do you well the, the, you do feed quite quickly into the racing line. Yes, it's got a very um, short blend line. 
and but, but yeah. you're almost immediately breaking for a corner. So yes, you're going straight into the um, what yeah, the um, Tamburello chicane, aren't you? Almost immediately. Yeah, mm. it is a it is a, it is a narrow blend. But I mean, it's they've been. Had, had P1 there a few years ago, and they do a lot more pit stops and come in and out with different speed cars. Where's this one? Imola. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Magello, thought. Did you, did you mention Magello? Did you yes. see the Ferrari footage? Yeah, yeah. I've seen two different Ferrari footages now. I've seen um, Vettel testing. Mm-hmm. And Charles? No. Um, it was... James Collado in a 2009 car. Oh, Collado did. A, I, I saw. I saw that. I didn't remember. It's I, an on board. Yeah, I saw that. I saw the on board a minute ago. I, sure, I just thought Collado was doing a Ferrari, a corporate thing for Ferrari, saying look at look at the Ferrari going around the show. I didn't realize that was actually him. Um, that was his helmet. I'm pretty certain. Oh, no, no, I'm, yeah. Um, if I'm wrong, then no. You I, know. Think, I actually think you're right. I think you're right. And that was in the 2009 car, although it was which is unlimited testing, of course. Yeah, and that was. Uh, not one of their best, was it? The 2009 no, car. No, that was a problematic car. That was the car of the double double diffuser time. It, but it was uh, liveried up like the current they, car. They, they always do that. Uh, and that was about something under 130. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, that'd be well quicker than that. Well, it was about... The lap I saw was a 130. Yeah, well under that. But you don't know how turned up or turned down it is and what tyres well, it is. Well, so, yeah, it's a tyres more It was screaming. It was, it sounded sorry, it's fantastic. It's a V8, normally after a V8 2.6 litre, I meant to say. Mm. Sorry, apologies for my slip of the six tongue there. Mm. What about Portimao, John? Uh, John, John. Uh, Tim? Uh, if it happened to be on the 4th of October and not the 27th of September as, or whenever it was. As as Nick said. Mm. So that's that's yeah, one each. Although, to Nick, be fair, Nick's Nick, Nick did the, say uh, he thought the first date was more likely, didn't he? No, I didn't. No, no, he said no, no, the other way. I thought the second. No, I didn't. No, he said the second. It, it, didn't, fit, it didn't fit in with the second. Because originally, but that the reason my reason for that logic was wrong though, because I thought they were double heading at Sochi. You see, yeah, I think there were enough weekends. But I am right for the wrong reasons, which is just as good as being right. <laughs> uh, Neil Gardner says apology for lateness. I've been kidnapped by my nice neighbours and forced to eat a delicious burger and chips oh and drink a couple of beers Poor all thing. at a safe distance. Be with you in ten. Others by now, by the way. Okay. Yes. So that's it's it's an ever-ending excitement to talk about uh, where in Europe F1 can go because they are not go leaving Europe until they go to the no. Middle East. There's no way on heck they're going to go to Mexico, Brazil, or the US, given that Texas is going back to lockdown. Mexico and Brazil, the epicenter of the epidemic right now, will not be anywhere near at the end of the curve by the time they have to go there. Ain't happening. No, totally agree with that. So they will have it. We will have a two-continent championship, which is fine for the FIA. And the question is just how many races they run in the Middle East, whether it be three or four. And hello to Phil Lindemann, who's listening near Burke Lakefront Airport. Ooh. And why is that important? I just read that, so unfortunately I can't answer it. N- Tim will know. <laughs> yes. Cleveland. Uh, IndyCar race. Yes. We did talk Impossib- about this two weeks ago when someone yes, tweeted from there. Maybe the same person. Yeah. Same person. Yeah. He's literally been there in a tent for a fortnight. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Rigby says, I feel worn out listening to that really crammed Le Mans schedule. You certainly will be kept on your toes. <laughs> The atmosphere vibe will Thursday's be... going to be busy. <laughs> well, but it won't be, because we won't be covering the sesh- all the sessions. Covering all the women in one session, don't we? Yeah, if, yeah, if we've got TV pictures for them, yes. Uh, assuming, of course, that we're allowed to be there. Uh, 30th of June. Mm, 30th of June. What I will say about that, and a lot of people have asked about this, and the answer is, we don't know whether we'll be allowed there. However, it won't matter. We will do coverage of Le Mans whether we're at Le Mans or not, it will change slightly the type of coverage we do, 
but we will do coverage um, of the and whole. No matter where the studio is, we'll have a studio cam. Really? <laughs> no. Oh yes. Absolutely not. Yes. No. No. I think the responsible adult might have something to say about that. I don't know. There's been a decision on that. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah. I think there's been a VAR. Really? Oh gosh. A, a video, a video assistant review on that. L- let's but, move on. Yes, Formula One. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi mm. is yes, uh, making the news this week. Because of his son. Because Which one? Pietro. One. No. No. Well, he's, uh, he's actually a... Emerson Fittipaldi mm. himself is making news, having signed for the Sauber Young Driver Academy. Oh. Yes, because it's, it's his grandson. It's his son, who's 13. All right, OK. Is that right? Yeah. He's got a yes. young son, given he's 74, is he? Oh, excellent. And he's got a 13-year-old son. Um, and he's um, just started just coming out of carts and starting doing cars. And he's already got himself signed up to a, a development programme, which I'm sure has nothing to do with his name and everything to do with his talent. He will well, you be know what? driving in the uh, OKJ Karting Championship uh, this season. Remember what Prior, Andy Prior said last week? It will open some doors, but ultimately your talent has got to get you further. The name. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, particularly, well, it depends, of course, how much money comes with that. Well, given the fact that... No, I won't say that. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll sense myself on that line. Well done. <laughs> You're learning, aren't you? Slowly. He's not the only... By the time uh, I hit 70, I'll be fine. He's not the only new uh, Sauber driver. Oh, I saw the picture and didn't read it. Damn, go on. Tell me who the rest of them are. Uh, Theo Pulcher... Who is the is? chairman of uh, Formula 4 Germany Championship? Uh, Peter Tacek, who races in the Formula Renault Euro Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can hear birdsong from behind you. The thing is, yeah. though, you think about being in the Sauber Junior team, it's not actually the greatest job in the world no. because the junior position is actually sold off to Ferrari as part of the Alfa Romeo deal. So, yeah. to be a Sauber Junior, they're kind of assuming the Alfa Romeo deal is going to die and so they're back on their own again sometime in the future and able to give you a gig. Uh, they do make the point that uh, among the graduates of the Sauber Junior programme are Heinz Held Frentz and Michael Schumacher. Yes, they graduated, what, in 1990? 30 years ago. So that just goes... So that, that, that's, a, that's an efficient junior programme. We're, we're going to mention people who have both... Been retired for at least ten years. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi is fourteen now, by the way. Is he? Yeah. Just thought uh, I should correct. Uh, Excellent. Correct birth, that well in case uh, anyone thought uh, Soundbird signed a thirteen-year-old. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, what are Dutch police looking for? Uh, clues. <laughs> they are looking um, for clues, and in particular, Rob love. Palmer. They're looking for love. Yeah, looking for love. Then you found me. They're mm. mm-hmm. uh, looking for a young man on a scooter. Ah, and what does the young man on a scooter do? Has he, has, he, has he ridden the banking of Zandvoort? No, he set fire to a tyre barrier. At Zandvoort. At Zandvoort. <laughs> yes, specifically at Zandvoort. Yes. Uh, yes. So hence the. Formula when you say one. a scooter, do you mean a, a thing with a flat platform and two very small skateboardy wheels, or do you mean something like a Lambretta or a Piaggio? The Dutch police report does not mention, they just describe him as scooter powered. 
Scooter Boy. Scooter Boy. That's obviously Avril, Avril, Avril Lavigne's next uh, well, song, yeah. Yeah, that was when, when he grew up. <laughs> yes. Beca- went from Skater Boy to S- Scooter Boy, but still, I'm sure it's spelled B-O-I. Yes, obviously. The, because fire, that's, <laughs> the fire sent plumes of thick black smoke high into the air, which could be seen from miles well, around. Well, he set the tyre barrier. Of course it was, because he set a tyre barrier on fire. It's only going to be like the, the smell of the fragrance of the garden, is it? No, indeed. Anyway, moving on. It is not believed that any part of the track or surrounding <laughs> facilities were damaged. I'm sure it wasn't. Is this moving a one, on. Is it, hang on. Do they know there's a wanted act of vandalism? Was he trying to make an ecological point? Do we know that? Who knows? Moving on. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. We've got some film news. Right. Uh, this is about the long-delayed uh, Enzo Ferrari biopic. Yes. Uh, Christian Bale uh, was set to play Enzo Ferrari, but pulled out because he wasn't fat enough. But right. he could be, because he's, he's a He's, he's a very, method actor. He's, he's happy to, put, very he's happy to put, the, put the weight on. He, he said he was not happy to put the weight on in this instance. Ooh. Right. Uh, CGI 4, then, if it's not making fatter. Just wear one of those suits. Is that why they've gone for Huge Jackman? Very good. Huge action, <laughs> as he's known. And he's huge. So he's big enough. Yes, Hugh Jackman will play Enzo Ferrari. Um, can you see any similarities between the two? Uh, no. It's the answer to that question. What about if you had a picture of Enzo Ferrari when he was Hugh Jackman's age? Um, I've seen some early pictures when he's... Because I've seen... A, a Enzo, it's either at the when he had become more portly or when he was quite young and driving um, pre-war. And certainly when he was pre-war, he wasn't that big. Uh, film is going to production in the spring, uh, so we should probably see it in about 18 months' time. The, what's the gist of it? It's the story of uh, Enzo Ferrari, directed by Michael Mann, and it's based on the uh, book oh, Enzo Mike. Ferrari, The Man and the Machine. Right. Written by Brock Yates. Oh, really? Okay, well, okay. Brock Yates knows what he's talking about. Cool. It's his book. I'm sure there will be a lot of uh, liberal uh, interpretations. Bending of time zones. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll mix up the timeline and people will moan and and think, oh, he's not quite right. He's got the wrong colour wheels. Not realising it's a film. Tim, uh, Eve has a bad feeling about it already. She's seeing on our production I don't chart. think it's going... I, I must yeah. admit, starting from point A, I don't get the impression it's going to be fantastic because they're going to have to make it super dramatic. Apparently you didn't say hooray at the start of the Formula 1. We just drifted into it, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So that's the Let's end of Formula 1 news. Let's do some more Formula, Formula 1 news. news then. Okay. Hooray! Formula 1 news extra. Uh, which team is going to be <laughs> sponsored by Rocket? Well, this is a massive surprise. Mercedes. You would have thought that they'd been uh, a little bit more concerned about people who, who who were a little bit more flighty, but apparently, no, no. They, the, the Williams have confirmed they do pay their bills. Still wonder why Williams and Rocket have parted company if, if they've got the money to sponsor Mercedes. Weird. But yeah, they're gonna they're gonna go and go and put some stickers on Mercedes. I'm sure the the uh, square inch of Rocket stickers on Mercedes would be significantly more expensive per square inch than they were Williams. And it's quite a big uh, number of inches from the mock-up I've seen. Yeah. It's all well, across the side pods. I'm not quite sure. Mm. What, the Petronas bit? 
Yes. Uh, I've not, I've not, I've not, I'm not sure. The question I would like to know, and this is not in any way saying, oh, it's dodgy. Just where, where are they getting this level of money from? Because they, they make a, yes, they make a mobile phone which has a USP that it's um, glasses free 3D. I've never seen one use one. They're incredibly difficult to find. Yeah, so, I mean, where's the money, yeah, where's the money to do this? I know, John. I'm Describe not... my face. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, just saying, I'm not putting, casting any aspersions, I just wonder where the money's coming from. That is all. Mm-hmm. Who would like to have some of the rocket money? Me. No, not <laughs> in... All right. Who in the Formula One paddock, which team in the Formula One paddock, would like to have the rocket money and not have to go to the city. Uh, McLaren. Mm. They haven't gone to the city, have they? They've gone back to their Bahraini bankers. They've changed today after they've... Because it's not McLaren, it's not McLaren F1 that's the issue. It's the road car business that's hemorrhaged all the cash. Well, they made a loss of £145 million in the first yeah, the quarter. Yeah, the group. The group. Because £65 million of which was from the Formula 1 team. Yeah, but that's called creative accounting. That F1 team is not losing that much money. No. Genuinely, it's not. That, With all those sponsors. That, doesn't that's matter. the Formula they're, they're 1 not, team not, making payments to the group. They're not spending a lot okay. of money either. Um, yeah, that's the problem. Their, their budget is not McLaren of the 2000s level at all. Um, but you're right, they are short of a few sponsors. But on the flip side, they're still getting all the cash in from F1. Now, they have got cash flow issues at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would suggest that quite a few people have. Yeah, well, there was a kind of there's quite an amusing comment about um, the. If you see the new graphics they're coming up with for F1, it's like it's just honestly anyone who is a motorsport fan are, or knows anything about motorsport are all going. Oh. But how can right? So additional information I understand, but the information has to be pre- presented in the correct way and it has to be relevant. First of all, it has to be relevant information, and secondly, it has to be presented in the right way. So, we've seen a lot more on-screen graphics in MotoGP. Mm-hmm. Lean angle, mm. projected rear-view cameras, which mm-hmm. don't actually exist, which are very, like a rear-view mirror, very clever, projected onto what looks like a convex mirror on the back of the, the bikes. Uh, all kinds of on-bike data and telemetry coming through, but presented in a way that adds something so you or me or anybody who was commentating on it or anybody who was sitting at home could get something extra and go, oh my God, I could never do that. Let me link three things together. Right. Okay. There is a a concept that F1 is hard to understand. F1 is not hard to understand. One class, one driver. It's not hard to understand. So they want to make it easy to understand to attract casual viewers. What has recently been released with ratings on it, John? Uh, the new F1 game. Oh, uh, yes. That has ratings. Right, now let's rate the cars in real time. The numbers mean nothing. Let's attract the casual fan, the gamer fan, and we'll go around the corner, we'll give it a 7.2 for going around the corner that way. Makes no sense. We'll give it a 9.1 for going, it makes no sense. It's 7.2 out of what? Out of 10, apparently, for cornering speed. Ah. So, effectively, what they're trying to do... And what is 10? I assume it's, it's probably um, McLaren 1988. But apart from that, no one. But so what they're trying, what they're basically, is we, we we haven't got any more information to give people to actually understand the sport because you've got everything you need. Because basically, all you need is your eyes and a timing screen, and you can follow motorsport if you know what you're doing, and a bit of onboard radio. So these are all graphics for people who need to, who apparently need to be spoon-fed made-up information based on the fact they like video games. Now, John, 
If you're going to attract someone who likes video games, yeah, mm -hmm. and is a member of the general public, what is the best way of doing that? Uh, sending them to a touring car or a GT race. No, no, you, you want F1. So should you put make the F1 easy to watch or difficult to watch? Should you sign a deal with a major broadcaster or should you in your second or third biggest market sign up Sky Deutschland? Mm. You know, because that's the other news, of course, this week that uh, yeah. RTL have hang lost... Hang on, hang on, hang on. You, you, you're cracking through two different... I Deliberately, I was linking things together like a professional journalist. Um, <laughs> Eve Hewitt says... I like the suggested graphics. Team principal's heartbeat, contract end date, last meal eaten by driver. The one I laughed out loud at when I was sitting reading this morning was Formula One graphic was the top bit that you could barely see. This is a car, it goes vroom. And I thought that was outstanding. Mm. Uh, uh, which is, um, I, I thought was great. But anyway, it's all about trying to make it more accessible and then you make it less accessible to watch. Mm. So, yeah, because RTL, after 20 years, are losing the free-to-air rights. Uh, well, sorry, they're losing their rights. In Germany, no, 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 no free-to-air. They're not renewing. Yes, because of money. Because Sky Deutschland have done what Sky Italy did and Sky UK have did and have thrown a shit of cash at it um, to get a level of exclusivity. There will be three or four um, races that are free-to-air, but I assume similar to... Uh, the UK, they'll be on a, a different channel. Perhaps they'll on be Sky, on Sky Sports more, News in Germany. Yes, one of their accessible channels. Like they've, you know, we've been, they've been putting football matches on PIC TV, which I didn't even know I had until I just went past it. Um, so, yes, I mean, it's an interesting... This is kind of conundrum. Do we chase... Let's chase the cash for the digital and the um, paywall, and then let's chase the viewers who can't watch it anymore because it's behind a paywall. Uh, yeah. It's very, very, very interesting that... I, I really do. Um, Shea Adam, who we'll be talking to later, is listening and, of course, is contributing to our short chat. And she used to work in um, graphics. And Jim Roller, the brilliant Jim Roller, or, always used to call that type of graphical interference eye charts. You put up a graphic that means nothing in terms of relevance and has a lot to look at yep in fairness I'm not particularly bothered by it because they'll go up and someone will think they're important we'll all know they're not important and ignore them um, because it's not what it's about but you know if they want to push their partnership with with Amazon web services and, and do that fine you know it's, it's there's far more important things in this world especially this year to get annoyed about than pointless graphics in F1 Saying that, I'll probably rail against him when I see him. Um, <laughs> uh, shall we do some tweets? Have you got some more Formula One? I know we'll do some tweets. Uh, Dave Alcock, going back to the Le Mans uh, qualifying, uh, he says 45 minutes is short for the likes of Daytona or Lime Rock, but Le Mans, incredibly difficult. Depending on traffic, pff, you might as well roll Dungeons and Dragons dice to to find out what your That's grid position fantastic. is. So, you, so who's in the car? It's Camille Kobayashi, Yomari Lopez and a level 5 mage. I'm pleased you know that. Right, Joe Lover says, weren't the German <laughs> I played names... I at 14. Yeah, uh, weren't the German names mentioned as having graduated from the Cyber Young Driver Programme uh, rather than the graduates of the Mercedes Young Driver Programme? Or, of course, that was at the time of Sauber Mercedes sports cars. That is a fair point. It was point. the same thing. Uh, 
Yes. Oh, there's a squeak here. Yeah, all right. Seraphine if, uh, Chu says, it, regarding Rocket, I think it's called Raising Debt, um, where Rocket gets the money from. Okay, fine. Uh, Rocket phones are available on Ideal World TV at this very moment, says Stephen. Right? What channel okay. is that? Uh, I we'll don't have know. To find it. Okay. RC Racing is 100% correct about the new F1 graphics. A complete disaster. What's the point, says Kevin Payne. Very good. Um, Varum is a too technical term for me, says Rotation. Um, I'm just a pleb. Please ensure our company team takes four minutes to explain it every time it appears. <laughs> <laughs> Phil says, do you know what? I yearn for F1 graphics back in the 90s. If you put new graphics on old races, it doesn't make the races any better. Neither does it necessarily make them um, although it could make them rather any worse. Simple block yellow with clear black text. 90s pinnacle. People watched it who wanted to watch it. Didn't even have second screen and timing in those days, Nick. Not on, not permanent online timing, no. You had, a, no. You had timing information. I did think, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. There's a lot of... People just feel they have to fiddle. They've had months to fiddle now, so they've had you know, several months of fiddling. Dave Alcock says, the new Enzo movie directed by Michael Mann, Manhunter, uh, Heat, Miami Vice, guarantees it will look stunning. It'll be fantastic cinematography and a great soundtrack. And uh, a good portrayal of Enzo's live? Well, hopefully. But Hugh Jackman will bring in the viewers. And apparently it's going to be a musical as well with Hugh Jackman. Well, in which case, I'm all for it. You're in, aren't you? They'll all be behind the barricades. They'll all be behind the barricades. Rather than blowing money on graphics, they should focus on getting a better free-to-air streaming package. That's Formula One. That'll bring more viewers than fancy graphics. There is a danger, isn't there, Nick? And we've seen this before with other sports, particularly here in the UK. Um, and the numbers on RTL versus Sky Germany are remarkable. It's a factor of 10, isn't it? Um, a factor of 8. Um, it was 28.5% at the Italian Grand Prix last year for RTL despite the fact they take very long ad breaks. They are hard to watch, or they were uh, hard to it, watch. It, which is quite hard to watch. Not as hard to watch as Kai's jackets, but as, as against 2.1% <laughs> on Sky. The issue is, do you take the money from the TV and then pocket it and potentially redistribute it to your teams? Or, which, which at least Formula One does redistribute some of the, t the money to the teams through the, the points payout. Or do you just say it is better for all the teams to have more eyes on and therefore attract sponsors because there's more people watching? I think it's important to note that this is RTL not renewing. So they had the option yes, to keep yes. this and have chosen not to. And it doesn't no. look like any other free-to-air channels were interested in taking over. Yes, but that's about the money, Nick. Uh, to Tim, sorry, excuse me. That's about the money. That's because the, guy, the, the head of broadcasting for RTL said, we've been priced out of the market. We simply cannot compete because it's financially not viable for us. We can't sell enough ads, even with all the ad breaks that we have, to, fill, to, to pay for that. So the, the balance is still... It doesn't matter whether you're renewing. It's not as if they've cut out. I accept that. But if you haven't got it on a platform that is easy for people to, to find and free for people to find, you get yourself into a situation, Nick, that the English 
and Welsh cricket board has done where they took the big money from the satellite broadcasters and then complained that they can't get people to sponsor their tournaments because nobody's watching. Absolutely right, and this is the um, the jam today, jam tomorrow concept. And is it do do you want the jam coming into Liberty, or do you want the uh, it going to the teams? Of course, it's Liberty getting centralising all the cash because the teams obviously take all the sponsorship money. Yeah, but you know, there's it's it, it's a situation. The, the only other interesting thing to know is whether there has been any change in the OTT arrangements in Germany. There has. Yeah. Ah. Which is that if you're a Sky subscriber, you get it free. You get the F1. Really? The F1 TV Plus. Ooh. So you get all the OTT but, but can Germans who aren't Sky subscribers buy the OTT program? If they Germany? do so, um, before August. The F1 one. But does that mean that the new F1 online package will be available in Germany? Yeah, because at the moment the, it's the F1 available package is already countries. available in Germany. Right, okay. The, the F1 TV Plus. You can't get it here until. The earliest when Sky's current deal runs out in twenty. The UK is the is the UK the last one team that that where the broadcaster holds the digital rights. Probably the last territory. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is too. But the, but the thing about that is, of course, it's great if you don't want to be subscribed to, to whichever your um, provider is, but you're not going to find any casual viewers. You're not going to convert anybody with a, even the best over the top service is, is for people who already know it exists. Still, for me, the best compromise hybrid if you will is you give it to a national broadcaster but they come on literally five minutes before and go off five minutes after and they only show the race so practice qualifying and all the additional malarkey for the hardcore fans would be a subscription service there aren't enough hardcore fans to make that worthwhile well then at that point, you've got to say your business model is flawed and make the decision based on that. But then when you've got Williams and McLaren and other teams on the brink of, of going under because despite their great names and their great provenance, they can't raise enough sponsorship income because, because they can't they're win a not... Race. Well, Yes, there's an element. You're not there's seeing an element their drivers on the podium. Certainly not on the top step of the podium. The last Williams driver but on the top step of the podium was Pastor Maldonado. But that's always been the case, Tim. And not everybody can win all the races all the time. Not even any of the races, all of the some of the time. <laughs> so, so the balance for that is getting the most eyes on that you can, so that when there is a battle for seventh position and it's a and it's a Miggins. Um, Willi- Miggins Pies Williams that's battling Miggins Pies you know Dave Miggins from Hartlepool get, gets his pound of, of flesh pork obviously llama flesh for his llama pies. pies yeah llama Ooh. pies no llama a, there's a there is a yeah. very yeah there is this interesting it's a balancing relate, act. huge and, and it's balanced the wrong way at the moment because they're chasing you know what we thought it wouldn't do because obviously what CVC did they just chased short term cash and now Liberty are kind of being forced to do it as well but it needs to be widely accessible or you won't get any new fans. If you do that, you've got to spread the money. And this is the issue with Formula One. You've got to spread the money more equally through well, the that, teams. That, that is happening, obviously, coming next year and the year after. Maybe. More equally. Not equally. More equally. Animal Farm equally. 
Yes, less mm. less inequality. No, that's not worth it. Okay. Fabian, who's in Germany, says half from Formula One behind the paywall in Germany will hurt F1 long term. Not only sponsors will pay less, the risk that the product will get so unknown they will earn uh, less money with the next sale of TV rights, especially if no German drivers are winning races. And Dave Alcock says any series looking long term must go for eyeballs, which makes it easier for teams to get sponsors. That puts monies in the team pocket, which has to be prioritised by Formula One. Look at the example set by IMSA, ELMS and Agent Le Mans series. Get your, cov- get your coverage out there. Get your teams, get your gentlemen drivers. I know there's no gentlemen drivers in Formula One as such, but there are still drivers who bring money, who have patches on their on their race suits, who have stickers on the cars. Get the eyeballs on. I completely think that it shouldn't be exclusively on on uh, uh, right, Sky. I mean, yeah, but I know it's on, on pay per view. Pay per view, because basically it's fine for us because you know, 15 years time we're you know, the wrong side of 70, but that, the, the sport will lose eventually. Yeah. It'll take a few years until we get too old and there's nothing new coming up underneath. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 25. It is the 24th of June. Tim Gray is up in London. Nick Damon is socially distanced here at Hindhoff Towers. Hello. <laughs> you didn't sound quite socially distanced <laughs> enough there. Hang on, I'll fade you down a bit. Hello. That's much better. That's much better. Tim, where would you like to go end. next? Uh, I found Ideal World <laughs> TV, and I must have missed the uh, rocket phones because there's currently a man trying to sell me cannabis on there. Okay, what? fine. Moving on. Uh, tomorrow night is 8 o'clock here on uh, yes. RS1. It's the Tour Radio Show. And what's on tomorrow? Is, U- is it the UK? It's, uh, it's guys the European tomorrow? team. So that's yeah. uh, Matt and Jordan. Uh, yeah, they will be talking what's on? For, with uh, their special guest is Timo Ha from uh, Gorilla Mods, uh, talking about producing the GT4 grid for Assetto Corsa, including rarities like the Chevrolet Camaro, uh, Celine S1 GT4, and their latest BMW M2 CS. And they'll also be talking about the SRO finale from Kaya Lamy and why Codemasters won't be adding the additional European tracks that we're about to see added to the Formula 1 calendar to the Formula 1 2020 game. It is a full and... So you can't uh, get the Codemasters game and simulate a race around uh, Mugello. Or Portimo. Um, If that was to be added. Or even Hockenheim. Indeed. Uh, a full and comprehensive look at the sim racing world by the guys from Tour it tomorrow night at 8. And then it's uh, Tony Becky and the rest of the guys uh, for On the Grid at 9. Uh, we did have some racing in the virtual world at the weekend. Nick, you were taking part in what we believe was the biggest ever participation motorsport event. 8,654 individual oh, you've entries. Them, it was on the thing, wasn't it? it okay. Was on the press release. So, yeah, I mean, I can't believe that 8,500,000 people have anything else. No, indeed. Uh, we had winners in three categories. Uh, P1, Team Redline, uh, will have their finishing driver uh, in a moment or two. The LMP2, uh, it's Fraser Williamson who will be talking to us. But first, let's go to the GTE winners. All friends of ours. It was Sim RC, and I've got to say, Jurgen Frank sounded a little bit overwhelmed by the whole thing when we spoke to him after the race.
Yeah, I'm absolutely speechless. Uh, after the Nürburgring 24-hour win, now this again, and with the beast pace from Diogo and Charlie, it was crazy what they did. They did the most of the race. Um, Nathan and me were doing the night. Other than the dirt from the race, the car looked like it was absolutely brand new. Is, is that the key to success? Yes, for sure. We had not a single contact or a spin or anything. We had no damage on the car, so that was the key to the win. So that was it for sure. Because Bila had a yeah, little accident um, on the exit of the SS, and that was uh, not very good for them. They pushed you very hard. You just set that pace. Those The guys from Bela were pushing you, but that was the difference. At the, at the end of the race, the difference was that couple of minutes. Yes, it was not that much. Um, without the damage of Bela, it would have been very close, I think. Also, congrats to Bela. They had one of their best races, I think, this weekend. So, very good opponent, opponent for us. The, the Ferrari for this race seemed to be the, the weapon of choice. Yeah, at the end, yes, I would say it was the best compromise. It had, it had a good top speed compared to the other cars and the balance, tire wear, fuel consumption, everything was working good on the Ferrari. Nathan Lewis, what was the experience like of being in the 2020 iRacing 24 Hours of Le Mans powered by VCO? Some event, eh? Yeah, it was really good. I was surprised how well as we had some connection issues early, but we got in well and it went pretty well for us. I didn't drive much for SimRC. I was a guest driver because, you know, we had Diego and Charlie carry us, basically. But when I did my three hours, I just matched Belia's times, and I was able to do that. So I was very happy with my stints, and it was honestly not bad. I'm tired. I've been up for 30 hours now, so, yeah. We said to Jürgen about the competition that Bela gave you, the Euronics team, gave you a heck of a run early on, and this seemed to be your main competition right from the drop of the flag. Yeah, yeah, they were for sure. We knew right away that they were going to be our biggest competition, cause especially Sven Haas, because Sven's hyper. So we knew he, they were going to be our main competition. We were just deciding who else was going to be in. And we noticed throughout the race early on, they were the only ones we were staying staying with us. So we ended up dealing with them. Obviously, with them getting damaged, kind of helped us get back in the game because Charlie had unsafe pit entry and get, lost us 40 seconds. But... All in all, they didn't really hurt us. Well done. You're a Le Mans winner. That sounds pretty good, I bet. Oh, yeah, it sounds really good. You know, this is my first real achievement in iRacing because I'd done Le Mans before, but it was back in 2018 when I was first starting. So, like, now being a Le Mans winner two years later, it's kind of crazy to me. LMP2, Fraser and the rest of the team, well done. How do you feel about that after 24 hours other than knackered? I'm not too bad. I'm the only one that uh, got any sleep, but... I'm just amazed that happened, to be quite honest. Um, we went in hoping for this result and Rolf somehow came out with this result. We, we, we knew we had it in us to win, but as soon as I saw Beneke and the Redline guys get in and I saw that car, I will admit to being slightly nervous because uh, that could have gone a very different way if things played out ever so slightly different during the night. There was a stint when you got into the car and you had a 15-second lead on Max Bonecki, and by the end of your stint, you'd taken more than 10 seconds out of him. You must have enjoyed that. Enjoyed is one way to describe it. Uh, that was just me pushing for everything I was worth, just trying to hit fuel numbers and bringing the car home in one piece, pretty much. I knew 
I'm not as fast as Alex or Dion throughout the night, so I knew if we just gave them the car still in the lead, hopefully I would have to wake up to the car in the lead, and that's what happened. So I just ran my stint, ran it as good as I could, and well, my stint of the life seems to have appeared. Uh, let's have a word with the LMP1 and overall winner, Dominic Fairbert for Team Redline. Is that as close to a perfect race you can, as you can ever have in a 24-hour race? That was an extraordinary run. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, everything played out perfect. Uh, like, we could go back so far, car choice, uh, strategy, no mistakes in the race, no big mistakes. It was just, the pace overall was just really good. So I don't think we could have had a better race than this. We had a few very close moments, but obviously we also had this needed touch of luck to not be involved in any big crashes without any mistakes from us. So, uh, yeah, definitely... We couldn't expect much more than that. There was one 10-lap stint in the first six hours, and then pretty much right the way at the end of the race, everything was 11 laps. That's how you must have planned it. But it's not often that plans work out as perfectly well as that. Yeah, um, well, we knew how the strategy would look like. We planned it like that. So we our plan was to do triple stints in the beginning when the track temp is still warm, uh, and then during the night when the track temp is cold, we can do uh, four stints on the tires. We did that throughout the whole night which uh, gained yeah. us quite a bit of time. Um, and also the fuel, we knew how the race would end, how the last stint would be, how many laps we need to do every stint, and it just played out perfectly, just as we planned. So, uh, yeah, really happy we didn't make any mistakes there or something. We just played out really, really well, and I think that was probably the main reason for why we won today. The Audi does really seem to work very well at the Circuit de la Sarte, at the Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, how close a call was it between the two LMP1 cars? Because I know you'll have tested both of them. Yeah, we definitely tested both. But for us, it was quite obvious in the beginning already that the Audi would be the weapon of choice because recent changes to the Porsche were just so uh, big that it didn't really feel as it did before. And also the pace just was much slower than we expected it. Um, so, yeah, for us, we did a bit of a test in, in the beginning, but then we immediately focused on the Audi, put all our time into that. And I'm really surprised that uh, not more people uh, picked the Audi. Um, but yeah, for some reason for us, it was quite obvious already because we just couldn't get the Porsche working uh, as well as we did with the Audi. Well, congratulations. I know it's a team effort. Redline, once again, underlining their position as well as the top teams in sim racing. Well done to you and the rest of the guys. Give them our best, won't you? Thank you. Thanks, guys. Midweek Motorsport. There's still another hour of this nonsense. Uh, there certainly is. That was the VCO victory lane from the long 24 hours over eight and a half thousand uh, drivers. Just like as somebody's just said, a Formula Ford festival race in the 1970s. I like that. I like that. Coming up in hour two, share Adam with the latest on the American scene. Nick Damon will be back with us and there'll be more of your comments at Specutainment. But now uh, we're going to go to our big interview, which is much more like a big talking point tonight. We've been watching what's happening in DTM very closely and on the line coming up, the editor of Race Car Engineering, Andrew Cotton, answers the question. Well, we'll try and get him to answer the question. What now for DTM? On Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Just after nine o'clock then, and here is the big interview this week. Welcome back to the show for Andrew Cotton, 
the editor of Race Car Engineering. How are you holding up, Andrew? Uh, we're doing very well. Looking forward to getting back to racing. It does feel, I mean, obviously we've done a, a, a real world, a full metal race, as, as Bruce Jones tends to call them, which I think is brilliant and we've stolen. Um, we've done one already and it was a proof of concept and uh, the Creventic guys deserve a big pat on the back for that. But it does seem like things are coming together a lot more with uh, and, uh, with um, German motorsport getting back underway this weekend with the whatever it's called now, NLS, NES, depending on which language, VLM, we still want to call it. Uh, I, I want to I talk to you about German motorsport, but I want to talk to you about the very pinnacle of German motorsport. Certainly, they would say they have been for the last few years, and that's DTM. Crippled, of course, by the announcement that the R Motorsport Astons wouldn't be running, and then we've got the Audi withdrawal coming along. What then the future for the German Touring Car Championship, the DTM. Uh, in the short term, they've got a season to get underway and finish off in 2020, which is still going to have Audi in it. Um, but you, you get the feeling of dead man walking a bit here, don't you? Uh, it's been dead man walking for a long time and it's managed to keep going. Um, I think the return of the manufacturers that are still in there would possibly just about make it uh, worthwhile doing. Um, I did check with my Japanese colleagues to find out what they were doing, because obviously they share the uh, the platform with the uh, Super GT over there. And they don't believe that we're going to walk away from this because uh, it'd be too expensive to go back into uh, their own style of racing, uh, which is a lot of technical development and a lot of cost which nobody really has access to anymore um so bmw's uh, mission for going in was to make sure that you have a global platform they didn't succeed in america but they did su succeed in japan and it seems that there's a possibility they could still carry on with that but we go back to the same old question of how much money the manufacturers yeah. actually have to go racing and Right now, we're hearing all sorts of worrying signs from all sorts of manufacturers, uh, whether they have are trying to recover from lockdown period and get back into production. Uh, when they do go back into production, how much can they do and how much social distancing uh, is going to impact on that? And then you get into profits and you yeah. get into the value of racing. So I think all of that together, it's still unknown territory. On the face of it, yes, you'd say, uh, you know, the, the manufacturers involved in DTM, it's it's difficult to see how they can justify continuing to spend. Let, let's talk about that level of spending before we go into what options there are for Gerhard Berger and, and for DTM going forward. Uh, Audi um, basically saying that they spent over 100 million euros running their cars last year so it's not an inconsiderable amount um take out the covid situation at the moment and you've got to say for a national championship that's a lot of money that's been the same issues that the japanese manufacturers have have faced in super gt for a while and that's why of course the four-cylinder engine the common chassis that's why that all came together my question to you is, is there a financial model that would have the European arms of the Japanese manufacturers involved in Super GT in, uh, in Asia uh, 
that they could be persuaded, cajoled, elbowed, whatever it took to put some cars in to go up against BMW at the end of this year into 2021? I think you have to look at the sales figures for Europe, and they're probably not high for the Japanese compared to the Germans, uh, which is why it's been so difficult to get this off the ground. If you are looking to justify your racing program and to raise your profile, there has to be a reason behind it. And if it is to sell more cars, which is a logical way of looking at it, then is racing the best way of doing it? Or are you better off to go into other sports or just standard advertising? And it's very difficult to know that um each manufacturer is going to make their own decisions and it's going to be based on a set of criteria that we may not like um if it was down to us as racers you would expect that with a common platform you'd be able to get across and be able to sell into each different market yes but with this situation we have no idea what's going on in the board rooms of each of these manufacturers and it could be that they're looking at it and saying look we 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 can't afford to to go. We can't afford even to carry on racing the way we are, which yeah. is obviously, you know, or rather we cannot justify the cost of it. I'm sure that they can still afford it, but they can't justify it. They have to look at other other ways of spending their money that are going to be, bring more short, medium or long-term benefit. And I've had some conversations with a number of different manufacturers who have basically said that their five, seven, nine-year plans have basically been torn up in terms of either development or infrastructure development um, because they simply don't know whether they will have the wherewithal to do that. And I would guess that motor racing is is pretty low down uh, on, on that list of priorities. As you said, it's not a question of whether they have the money, it's whether they can justify doing it. I think that's a very important distinction, Andrew. Um, all right, then. So if it's not going to be as it is now and possibly... This is a conversation that should have been happening more seriously quite some time ago. Then is there something else that is either in the wings that we don't know about or something that is out there that could be uh, pressed into service? I, I, before you and I um, had have this con- had this conversation earlier on today, I was doing a bit of research, shock horror, I know. And I found some very interesting quotes from Chris Renke, head of uh, Audi Customer uh, racing, saying that whilst DTM was happening, there was no chance that Audi would go into LMDH because he didn't see it would fulfil any di- a different need. I've also found some quotes from Hans-Joachim Stuck, who says that LMDH and a sprint series for LMDH, which doesn't exist at the moment, could be the perfect thing because it is, as Gerhard Berger says, LMDH... DPI 2.0, as, as originated as, is effectively just another version of DTM with a you know a, a number of chassis or a single chassis, a drivetrain that the the manufacturer can, an engine at least that the manufacturer can barge. Um, LMDH is that a, 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 a genuine opportunity to replace it? You could throw any kind of bodywork on that on that P2 chassis. You could, but the answer is no. If you uh, build a car to a certain rule set, then you either throw your own rule set in the bin, take that on and and rewrite around it, or you stick with what you've got. Um, And I think if you have LMDH, it's going to be proprietary for uh, the ACO and for the FIA uh, or for IMSA. 
Uh, it's not the FIA, is it? Um, and so would IMSA allow that to happen? Uh, or would the ACO allow that to happen? A sprint series with their rules, their ideas, I suppose it might come down to money. You could buy your way into it, but it's not. While it, the idea fits, um, there are all sorts of ideas that you could make fit, such as GT3. Um, but is that going to happen? Uh, it would require a major change of thinking in the manufacturers don't forget there's a reason that they went down the dtm route um there's a reason why some of them even went down the class one or the what was the the world touring car championship that was tc1 wasn't yes. it um the, there was a reason they went down that one knowing the obsolescence costs were going to be a hundred percent and we're in the same boat here um there is there is though in fairness there is a history of a partnership between ITR, the, the guys who run DTM, and IMSA, because IMSA still are the North American partners for that rule set, that that Class 1 rule set. And the sort of numbers that I'm looking at um, and have been told by a couple of people that what we were seeing about Audi spending well over 100 million euros, they could run the same amount of cars to an LMDH specification for probably less than 60 million euros. Well, they could do, but it comes back to what Stefan Rattel told me a few months ago. Um, it's the return on investment. Mm. And if you give a bigger return, then you are inviting them to make a bigger investment. And so while we're talking low figures at the moment, if you give too much return, I know it sounds completely counter to what we normally talk about, which is increased return on investment. If you give too much and you make the category too attractive, then people are going to spend a lot more money and you immediately kill it. So you have to be very careful about what you do and, and where you put it. Um, if you take a GT3 car and you take it to Le Mans, then the return is so much higher than a win at the Nürburgring 24 hours or yeah. at Spa that the manufacturers start to plough big money into the development of the cars to get for yes. this bigger price. And they make a special and then the cost spiral. Yep. Oh, hang on a minute. We've... We've heard that story before, haven't we? Uh, yeah, so you need, you need to be careful and you need to stick to what you know. Mm. So if you're a touring car a touring car series such as the DTM, they made their name a long time ago with really iconic but special cars. They've made a proper job of building the championship with the drivers, the teams, the sponsors, the manufacturers. They, they had a really nice mix um, and created these heroes that we still remember today such as Bernschneider, mm -hmm. um, you know, you could do the same again. They haven't done the same job. The costs and the and the distrust on how much they're actually spending is huge. Yeah, yeah. Now, so you mentioned GT3 there. So the other thing that I've heard um, being, quote-unquote, considered, an all-pro GT3 Plus series, get the engines beefed up to 600, 700 horsepower, uh, pro drivers, again, a sprint series to basically set it apart from everything else. There is a slight, I mean, there's plenty of GT3 manufacturers out there, including some German ones. But would then that just break out of what the GT3 concept is meant to be, which is supposed to be about customer racing? Yeah, they tried this once before. Uh, it was only two or three years ago that they were talking about GT3+. Plus. Uh, with exactly that concept, uh, professional drivers, professional cars, faster, bigger this, bigger that, bigger the other. And once you start going down that road, 
then you really finish up spending some proper money. Um, exactly the same argument as having GT3 replacing GTE. Uh, uh, while it was good on paper and it seemed like a logical idea, once you get into the development of it, then you're looking at, at spending some proper money and you're better off almost to, to start with the GTE set rule set and go for it. Correct. So, And the manuf- yeah. that comes from the manufacturers, by the way. So everybody's yes. shouting about GT convergence and using GT3 as the panacea and the magic bullet for everything has got to understand that the current set of GT3 manufacturers actually not all that keen on GT3 going to Le Mans or being a DTM car. No, some of them are. Um, Some of them who don't have representation in GTE or didn't have representation in GTE wanted to go, and those that did have representation obviously didn't want to take their GT3 cars there. Um, Now the, the market has changed quite substantially, and... They, there may be a move to do that. The, car, the GT3 cars can do 24 hours, but you know you have this excess risk or uh, excess return, which is what we just talked about. So it, it's a complicated one. While it sounds good on paper and it sounds good over a pipe, it might not sound so good when you actually get down to the nitty gritty of writing your uh, your technical regulations and trying to restrict the costs. And for me, the, uh, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Go yeah, no, no, I think that for me, the ultimate has got to be. Uh, for certainly the DTM, that they really reduce the cost. They don't go, they don't target 800,000 and finish up at 1.2 million, which is what the first cars cost. I don't, I don't know what they cost really? now, but I can't imagine they've got any cheaper. Yeah, so you can imagine that if you if you got the cost right down, if you went right down to, for example, where the World Touring Car Championship was with its uh, Super 2000 regulations, proper low cost, high return. Uh, entertaining racing with cars that look like uh, cars that you can buy on the road. And people do uh, associate with that. They do attach to that. This idea that you go for the highest and the best and the fastest and the most carbon and everything else that you can stick into it is nonsense. You know, go for something that is going to work. This is going to be the next two or three years at least uh, to try and keep – the manufacturing interest, the racing alive and, and reconnect with these people that ha- now have a much greater choice of powertrains, yeah. of manufacturers even, and who, you know, may decide that they don't even want a car. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, we know that even before the current uh, global downturn caused by the Corona-19 virus, that d- DTM was in trouble. And the timing of Audi's withdrawal statement might have caught a few people on the hop in in terms of the day the week the month but frankly both bmw and audi have been looking at a way of of getting out of dtm for for some time but not been it doing it and have the finger point say this was the manufacturer that killed dtm and in in some yeah, respects exactly. coronavirus has helped them with that the problem i see for dtm andrew refers something to we've talked to to, to what we've talked about in the past in endurance racing whether that's gt whether that is prototype whether it's le mans and multi-class there's always been a very high level of privateer engagement in that whereas dtm yes down through the years they have had I would say pseudo privateers because they've all had factory assistance in the old days. They used to have a year old car and that was a way of getting a bit of a bit of extra 
mileage in every sense of the word out of those very expensive cars that you've just told us about. But ultimately, DTM has always been about the big German manufacturers battling it out for the pride of Germany. And I'm not sure that that, that philosophy is still relevant. I'm not sure it was before Corona. It's possibly even less relevant now, is it? No, I don't think so. I think people do connect with uh, with brands and they connect with drivers and they connect with uh, iconic cars as well. And if you go with, you know, I, I, I could just think back to the DTM and the old Mercedes C-classes when they were going for it. But mega, yeah. Yeah. you know, they didn't they didn't have world beating, record breaking performance. They just didn't. They were they looked good. They sounded good. They were driven well. And there was some good racing involved. And maybe we need to focus more on that mm. than uh, going for these very expensive uh, technologies that nobody really can afford to do. The problem is all the manufacturers are looking at all the different racing series and pairing some of them off against each other to get what they need and then pick the one that they that gives them exactly what they need yeah. uh, at the expense of the other two or three that they're negotiating with this is a this is one major problem that the manufacturers are going to be doing and whether the rule writers have to stand up strong and say this is what we want to do and if you wish to come you're welcome but you cannot write our our regulations for us because we need to build whether it's the biggest uh, grid or whether it's the uh, the biggest television audience or whether it's they all have their different priorities yes exactly so and the manufacturers ultimately are looking for the cheapest win yep yeah, exactly right. And manufacturers want to have an advantage. As I've said to someone the other day, manufacturers don't yeah. want a level playing field. They don't just want to win. They don't just want to compete. They want to dominate and they want to get the return on their investment. In a broader sense, uh, and I'll, I'll stick this out there, I'll be interested to hear your, your thoughts on this. As we know, in motorsport, nothing happens in a vacuum. So you've got to look at the wider world of the automotive industry. And in the wider world of the automotive industry over the last decade... The segment of cars that has suffered most in terms of sales potential is the quote-unquote family three or four box, uh, two or three box saloon, the four-door family car. Uh, SUVs have, have taken over, crossovers have taken over. Back in the heyday of any touring car series, British touring cars, German touring cars, you were looking at cars that, as you rightly said, could be seen as albeit from a premier manufacturer but maybe aspirational but not that too different to the cars that people drove that you saw on the street nowadays we don't see very many of that type of cars so in that respect is the DTM suffering from a change in automotive trends and and buying no I think it's just too expensive the manufacturers spend too much money to go and compete in essentially a German championship. If you're looking for a global championship or you, you can justify your cost across two markets, including Japan, then you reduce your uh, effect of your spending because you've, you're spreading it across the, across the world. But the DTM is too expensive, and that's not critical of the DTM uh, uh, standing alone. All the most, most racing that we can see at the moment is going for very expensive. The hybrid and, and being able to introduce hybrid or hydrogen or electric or any kind of racing like that is just too expensive. And it was always 
headed for a crash. Mm-hmm. As soon as you start to uh, hit the figures, there's there's a there's a critical point that you reach that the manufacturers will say that's too expensive. We don't want to continue. We've seen yes. it in ITR. We saw it in British Touring Car Championship. We've seen it in GT racing yep. with GT1. GT1 We've seen yep. it. We, you know, I mean, come on, you can go through all through the history of motor racing and you'll find examples, many examples of this being the case. And so DTM was headed for a crash. It had, Maybe the crash has accelerated and maybe now they need to look at it and say, right, we really okay. need to cut cut back the cost to really manageable levels and give people something that they can really relate to and just turn out some good racing. So if the current crop of cars uh, effectively have become financially obsolete, even if not technically obsolete, and let's be honest, it hasn't actually provided great racing in the last few seasons either, which I do think is a contributory factor, um, where's the saviour? For DTM, what is it a back-to-basics approach, as you're suggesting, with a brand-new platform that the manufacturers have got to get on board with? Uh, is it one of the other things that we haven't talked about? Where does DTM sit, and how can it survive as the premier German national series? Well, there's a flippant answer, and there's a there's a more realistic answer. There's well, what's, what, are the, what, are the, what, what are the manufacturers saying? That's the question, I suppose. Well, I don't know what the manufacturers are saying because they are so heavily wedded to this idea that Class 1 is the is the future. But nobody's really identified what the target for Class 1 is. What is it you're trying mm-hmm. to achieve? Um, you know, so they're heading towards this great pinnacle and nobody really, you know, nobody knows what, what the point of it is, including the manufacturers that are racing. So that just seems to be, to me, to be a nonsense. Disconnect, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a disconnect. So, okay, you've got to change your machinery. You've got to go for something that people really identify with. So why don't we have a normal BMW 3 Series versus a Mercedes uh, C-Class versus an Audi A4? You know, why do we need to go for these carbon? It's just nonsense. You slow everything down. You don't need all the latest technologies in it. Um, And if you go that route, then maybe you have something that other people can think about uh, creating building you don't need manufacturers to build racing cars we, we need to get out of this idea as well tuners can build racing cars i was talking to stefan rotello at the weekend tuners can build racing cars why why are we so wedded to this idea that only manufacturers can so do you think andrew that there's literally nothing out there at the moment that would fulfill um dtm we've discounted lmdh we've discounted L- um gt3 current tcr presumably wouldn't provide enough of a point of difference uh, for the championship so you know somebody's got to come up with a new concept then is that what we say or, or, or does it uh, just go away no i don't think it should ever go away i think it's too strong a championship and it's too strong a name to go away they need to find a way of really putting what they've got in the bin and starting again um whether you start with to go back to my flippant answer was actually a response to what you were talking about we're buying SUVs. The, the majority of people are buying SUVs. Well, would you like to see a Lamborghini, what's it called, Urus? Urus, yeah. Uh, uh, versus a Q7, versus an X5, but, you know. You, versus a Macan, <sighs> yeah, or whatever, Cayenne. Yeah, I mean, you, you could run those if you wanted to. That would be the flippant answer, but it would actually be what people are, are buying on the road. Um, and I think that would make a great support race for the championships, by the way. But... Because you put all your drivers in there. And I know just, Jaguar's got quite a few of their electric ones sitting about doing nothing at the moment. But this is the other problem. Uh, the German government has put a lot of 
cash behind uh, electric or sales of electric cars as people come out of, or as the, the industry comes out of this coronavirus uh, pandemic. They're saying, well, let's keep the pollution levels down and let's go for electric cars. So they're offering these big discounts for electric and not for internal combustion engines. Is this right? Absolutely not. But the numbers are, are so low that um, it's really a short-sighted way of doing it. So, But this is what the governments are doing, and we need to get over that as well. We need to stop the governments from making these decisions and saying, look, we need, we need to get the, uh, the environmental uh, responsibility back under control. We need to reduce our, our carbon footprint. We know this. So let's have an honest conversation yes. about what is the best way to reduce this. Is Till. it all electric or yep. is it to build lightweight purpose build cars which is where racing technology of course can help massively Uh, let's finish off then what's your best guess of what happens at the end of this season the Gerhard Berger and the DTM BMW clearly can't go it alone or can they is it a year off while something else is put together Gerhard doesn't want that he doesn't want to have to restart something is there an interim solution what is it uh, very simply, it's to carry on with what you've got, go into a holding pattern, a, a, a really a, a strong holding pattern. The cars exist. And if you can make it that the cars that exist are able to race, uh, then you can go, you can put something on. You Even may not the have Audis? Ma- in privateer hands? Why not? Right. If somebody can raise uh, the budget. The budget for what? I don't know what the running costs are per kilometre for, mm. for running these things. But, you know, you can run one season with one car uh i think you can go the whole season with one engine as well right so this this shouldn't be an extraordinarily expensive exercise um the marketing support behind it would be huge but if you can cope without that and your paddock looks a bit emptier but you get everything else on track why not Mm. andrew it's clearly not a simple fix um what we haven't even touched on is how important it is for German motor racing to have a strong DTM because it trickles down into the support series, the you know chance to be on the big show. In the same way as I've always said, you've got to have a strong British Touring Car Championship for motorsport in this country to enjoy the benefits. It's probably even more accurate, that statement, in, in Germany. Uh, thanks for joining us, Andrew, and uh, best of luck with the magazine. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you soon. Well, Nick Damon, uh, John asked Andrew there uh, about the prestige German manufacturers battling it out in DTM in the past. Where were those prestige uh, German manufacturers battling it out at the moment? Formula E. Yes. So. Yes, all of them. In fact, you've got extra ones, haven't you? Because you've got Porsche as well there. Yeah. So does DTM need to go electric? Um, DTM, in my opinion, is dead. And it needs to be given a graceful sending off. I don't think it fits the world we see now. It's one of the number series is no longer fit for purpose, given the financial constraints we're going to be under, and it's requiring for massive support from the manufacturer. And it's also, it's just as, as it never made sense when it's just one region, just one country with a couple of trips abroad. And there's nothing, against, there's nothing against DTM. It's just it's run its course. Things run their course. But as I said to Andrew there, though, Nick, for my part, the problem has been it's not been very good. 
well, in the last few years yeah. in terms of entertainment and a racing spectacle. And it got very, it got very, very tactical and team ordery and strange and you know, it, it really, their attempt, to, their attempt to make it more entertaining just made it more confusing, stroke rigged, in my opinion. Um, I did, the one thing they did do well, which was the copy from the Renault days, was do Saturday and Sundays completely separate race meetings. I, I think that helped. I do think that helped. But, um, yeah, I mean... It's There's no doubt, having been to one now, uh, albeit a couple of years ago, that the spectacle of being on site and the extraordinary paddock spend that there is um, does make it interesting. And, and going to some of the classic German circuits, and, and I went to Hockenheim Ring for the, the finale... And it was outstanding. And, and the organisation was outstanding. And this, and whilst the racing wasn't great, the spectacle itself and the feeling of being at an event, what we talked about with yeah. Le Mans earlier on, the feeling about being at an event was certainly there. But that was the activation cash, and that's what's missing now. So, you know, if, if what you're going for is the activation money and not the racing, effectively, then... You know, again, this is, I'm not trying... I don't want to see series in. I don't want to see people lose their jobs or anything like that. But I think, you know take something and, and, and you know use what's left and spend it on something else yeah you know I have my own I have my own reservations about Formula E on a number of levels not actually technical but but we've got six of those in 12 days coming haven't we nine yes. nine days 12 yeah. days six in nine days all at the same place to me that's the best thing they could do I think that is a, I have no criticism of finishing the season that way absolutely not uh, it's could the more hang on we've got more questions Sorry, here all Could right. uh, DTM save itself uh, by using COVID-19 to say this season has been delayed horribly, we're going to spread it over this year and next year and call this all the 2020 season? No, because Audi will still pull out on 1st of January 2021. Correct. They're not going to hang around because someone's massaged the S calendar. They're spending over 100 million euros to run however many cars it is. No one tell me that's good value compared to what you could do in F1. That's not good value oh. in don't anything. Forget, don't forget the, 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 the cost cap. I know, with, with uh, and by the way, it's 120 million euros that's in two years' time. And by the way, look at the issues for European motor manufacturers and German motor manufacturers. Dave Alcox just tweeted in. Just to give you an idea, the issue with German motor manufacturers, a client who makes parts for German car manufacturers told me his order book through summer for parts is down more than 50%. Six-month forecast is still down 35%. There's the ongoing issue that we've talked about before here about the new regulations uh, for engines, emissions, which comes yeah. the new emissions regulations, which comes into force first of January, which makes a whole load of engines that are sitting around at the moment, either in cars or about to go in cars, makes th them not saleable after the 31st of December. There is the emissions fines that are going into all of the European car manufacturers, which both of those, the European Commission has refused to give any European manufacturers any kind of delay on, despite the fact that it will it will put some of them out of business. So, spending 150 odd million on a national touring car series, it's it, it's difficult, isn't it? It's not possible. Mm. You know, you might you need that money to pay fines. I mean, I I you know, I I do think that the European Commission and I am a pro-European on the whole is being absolutely blooming stupid, and 
I don't understand why you'd want to grenade one of your biggest uh, industries for no discernible reason apart from to tick a green a green button that doesn't need ticking this year. Uh, you listen to Midweek Most Sports Series 15, episode 25. Shall we bring in our American correspondent? Well, we can Let's do, because she would uh, be able to uh, give us another reason why LMDH wouldn't be the answer for 2021. Shea Adam, hello. 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 Uh, and how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Very well, good. Nice and toasty. Yeah, very toasty here. Yeah. Uh, it's going <laughs> to be over 90 tomorrow, and it was nearly 90 here today in your, your money. Uh, LMDH, mm. one of the problems with LMDH is it's probably not going to arrive in time for DTM. Yeah, see, that's the um, the uncomfortable thing about what's going on right now with everything in the world. It might not even arrive next year as it was previously scheduled. There's a consensus going on between the manufacturers to even try and get it pushed to 2023, given the fact that so many factories and programs basically have been all shut down over this development time. It's definitely not going to be around in time for DTM, but uh, the question is when it will come out as a whole. Uh, I now, you know, that isn't an issue for IMSA as such because it's got a reasonably healthy DPI, original DPI field. It will stop, you know, any of the new manufacturers. We keep wondering if it's going to be Ford, if it's going to be Porsche, if it's going to be Audi, who's going to come into LMDH in IMSA and fight for the win. But that doesn't necessarily affect IMSA in, in the shorter term in the top class. Correct. And actually, we got the entry list for the WeatherTech 240, which will be taking place next weekend in Daytona. And there are a full field of DPIs for that race. Every single one that ran at Daytona will be running again at Daytona in July. So that is fantastic news as far as the DPI class is concerned. Um, not all of the classes uh, have had the same take up. We've reported before on, on this show about Paul Miller Racing. Uh, not going to at least the first couple uh, of races. It is the first round Correct. of the sprint championship, so we'll get some of the sprint uh, GTD cars uh, coming in. What do we? What do you think we're looking at? Oh, well, now we don't have to speculate. What are we yeah. looking at in terms of the entry on on the evening of the fourth of July? Well, it's quite an interesting field to look at. We've got twelve cars in GTD, and just to put it out there, we've got both of the factory BMWs, Porsches and Corvettes back from GTLM. So there are six cars in that category. But as far as GTD is concerned, we know that it's been very much cannibalized by everything that's happened COVID-related. We do not have Paul Miller Racing coming back. We knew that from the get-go when they announced it. They were the first team, actually, to announce that they would be bypassing the Daytona round. They will also be missing Sebring, which I'll get to in a few minutes because that's interesting in itself. We do not have the third place finishers, the WRT Audi. They were supposed to be an endurance race only, so we were not mm. expecting to see them back. And Black Swan, who finished fifth at Daytona. They, too, will not be making a presence at the shorter race. So those are three of the top five in the championship. That means that the point spread is quite uh, interesting when you start <laughs> looking at it in terms of a championship battle. And I'm being very diplomatic with that word because we've got essentially – uh, it's Andy Lally and John Potter leading the championship on 32 points, but they're tied with Spencer Pompelli, who is running in a sprint 
only championship car for Hardpoint. That's Rob Ferriel. We made the announcement last week that Audi will be running a full season. But Spencer already has 32 points. So if he continues to do better, he could actually beat Andy and John in the championship, having started the season out well with them to begin with. So yeah. that would be interesting. He still scores. More... Po- he still scores points, doesn't he? Even though Correct. the team that he's in is only running the sprint cup there's nothing to say he can jump into a different car for the longer races and and score he points could, in the overall championship don he could run in a different car every weekend and still win the championship <laughs> i mean we've seen jerome bleakamolen do that in True. the past in in 2011 in gtc he won three races with three different teams so it's definitely not beyond the bounds of possibility but we also welcome in gradient racing they're coming in with their acura nsx till bechtelsheimer Hurrah. and mark miller which we expected which is just Awesome. And I do agree with the gradient uh, social media that Mark should change his name to something a little more positive to try and get the juices flowing. We've also got Compass Racing, the Canadian team. They moved down to California with the permanent shop, but they've also got a setup in Florida for these two next races. They are full into the sprint championship. Coming back in GTD, we've got Riley with Gar Robinson and Law Austin. Uh, Lawson Oshmack, easy for me to say after it's been a while. Magnus, as I mentioned, right with one car. That's a change because we knew that they were going to be running a sprint car for the sprint championship with Anthony Imperato and Jerome Bleakmullen. That car has been withdrawn. We knew that that was coming. Turner is back with Oberlin and Foley. Serious championship contenders, those two. Cooper McNeil and Tony Volander in the Scuderia Course Ferrari. We've got two more Acuras from Meyershank Racing. The Goikberg and Parent and the Farnbacher and McMurray pairings. And then here's where things get interesting because we've got Faf missing from the entry list. That is the pole sitting car for the Rolex 24 hours. Mm. They are not back, which means that the only Porsche will be represented by Wright Motorsport. And then we come into Lexus where there's been a lot of um, hot seat this week. Monte Calvo and, and Bell still with their pairing in the number 12, but their endurance driver, Aaron Tielitz, being given a fantastic opportunity. This is a superb young man who hasn't always had the financial backing to make it as far as he should. He has been called up because Jack Hawksworth needs a co-driver. Parker Chase and AVS split ways earlier this week. That ended that relationship. But what it means is AVS has gone from a situation where they had a driver bringing a lot of budget to the team to a driver that they're now giving an opportunity to purely because they like him. He's a good person and a good driver. So Aaron Tielitz in the 14 for the remainder of the season. That's a very interesting change and a very strong pairing. Um, no Aston Martin from Heart of Racing. The Seattle-based team won't be making the trip to Florida for Daytona at least. Correct. They have only said, as far as this is concerned, for Daytona, but I would expect we're going to be seeing an announcement on Sebring in the near future as well. So Alex Roberis and Roman DeAngelis, they had a really bad Rolex 24 where the car was involved in an accident. They fixed it. They were testing at Sebring before all the COVID stuff came into effect. They were happy and ready to go, but they've decided ultimately it's not in their best interest to come and run this one race. And here's what I hinted at a little bit earlier with the Sebring round being interesting because the championship is such that the Sebring round is sprint only points. So those points do not count for the full season championship. If we have a situation at Daytona where the teams who didn't run the first round of the championship or didn't score well, do well in the race. And the teams who did run well at the Rolex don't do well at this July race. 
we could have a very close championship battle that's not affected as much as it would be when we get to Road America and potentially get FAF, get Paul Miller Racing, get Heart of Racing, get gear. We get all these teams coming back in. That could really change the way the championship looks. What you're hearing about gear, have they managed to, to do a deal somewhere to get a car back on the grid since the split reported last week with GRT? They are talking to at least two different teams about running a car for them, which is excellent news. To be honest, we need those girls on the grid. Mm. I love Kat and Christina and don't want to go to the track when they're not there. Uh, but they are talking actively with different manufacturers and different teams. There's nothing that could be set up in time for Sebring, but they are optimistic about the potential of getting to race in Wisconsin in the beginning of August. Now, the other big issue that comes into effect is Le Mans and the border situation right now that's going on within the U.S. because the EU is not going to allow travel between the two countries. If you come and race over here, you're pretty much stuck over here. Till November, if you want to go potentially. Over, exactly. If you have a program set to run the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which do you choose? Do you choose a full season in America or a one race in Europe? And albeit, it's the race of a lifetime. So for a lot of the people who are on both entry lists or at least aiming to run in both programs, it's not exactly a feasible option anymore. And it's really causing some concern for a lot of teams and drivers. I, I think a real issue, Shea, and I, you know, we've talked about this before and we've tried to always stay positive. But one of the issues with everybody is that it's not the same in Europe as it is in the USA at the moment. And particularly in, in Florida, um, yeah. there's a, a spike in, in cases. Uh, there's Texas talking about another shutdown. There's all kinds of issues with coronavirus. September still looks a very long way off in Europe. And, and that's getting towards the autumn, the fall, as you guys would say, and flu season coming around again. Making these decisions is actually nigh on impossible to do yeah. with any degree of, of certainty. It is. And to be honest, because I, I was actually talking to a driver last week who was coming over to Florida to do the quarantine for IMSA, being respectful of the IMSA protocol, yeah. spending two weeks in this country before going to the track. And by the way, you have to get a COVID test. You have to prove that you don't have the virus to even gain admittance into the paddock. So they, they are doing a lot, IMSA yeah. is, to try and prevent any of this. But there are many, many drivers who came over last week to begin this period of quarantine. I was talking to one of them who was asking about the condition of the coronavirus in Florida, to which I responded, it's really bad. The, today alone, we had a record number of cases in the state of Florida in terms of new diagnoses. It's a scary situation that the rest of the world necessarily isn't being told about because this one person in particular said that every time he turned on the news and they talked about the virus in the U.S., they were talking about places like New York or California. Where they weren't necessarily yeah, exactly. They weren't referring to Florida in my building alone. A man on my floor died last week from COVID-19. It's it's here. It's immediate and it's not going away, which is an issue for a lot of people who are coming in. So I would just warn anybody who is traveling to the U.S. and hoping to then travel back home to Europe. Do a little bit of research before yeah. you do, because people are not as actively uh going about the things here as they are for you guys yeah um let's talk about next weekend we'll have a little bit of a reset of the series next week in a special program 
uh, with Shea and hopefully Jeremy Shaw join us as well. Um, unfortunately, looking at the longer range weather forecast, um, it it's not looking great for what is going to be a very busy motorsport weekend uh, on <laughs> Independence Day weekend. Well, as I've been saying for a little while, and I hate to be the little black cloud that hangs over people's lives, but you Probably know what? in this case, it, though. It really is. It's Florida. It's July 4th. Of course it's going to rain. But there's a long-term forecast that I looked up today that was optimistically saying 80% chance of thunderstorms for the Daytona coast uh, for next Saturday evening, which is when the race is. Remember, it's a night race for uh, IMSA partially to do with the TV schedule and partially just because it's going to be a heck of a lot cooler at yeah. night than it will be during the heat of the day. What was it you said to me, Shea? It's either going to be 95 degrees Fahrenheit and, uh, and humid or 95 degrees Fahrenheit and raining. Exactly. Those are the options that you get for Florida during the summer. I am a little bit disappointed that um, Tropical Disturbance Dolly is currently <laughs> off the coast of New Zealand, so it won't be Dolly that comes and affects the race. But uh, Tropical Disturbance, uh, not Tropical dis Depression. And that's, at least that's good news. Yeah, We're looking on, yeah. the, on, on the good side. On the bright side. Yeah, uh, yeah listen, literally. Listen out next week for, for Shea uh, joining us to do a little bit of a retest and a, re, a, a reset, rather. Uh, on the IMSA series before our coverage uh, at the very uh, at the very lit at the very least next weekend uh, for those of you uh, outside the US we will have sound and vision of qualifying and the race for those of you in the US we'll have qualifying in sound and vision uh, the race in sound with Michelin Countdown to Green and Michelin Post Race Tech. Uh, and we will be, of course, on uh, Sirius XM as well. For those of you in the States, uh, we had a, a very good technical test uh, today with our colleagues at NASCAR Productions who uh, make the pictures for IMSA. So that's at the very least that we will have that next week. And stay tuned and keep an eye on Radio Show. Uh, radio dash dot uk. It was one, was the one thing other thing that I wanted to talk to you about here. What was the last thing that we didn't speak about there? Uh, Might have been the AWA team from uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge. Yeah, they're uh, the Canadian uh, come across the border. Well, no, actually, they've decided that they will not be coming across oh, yes, the border right. this year. Yeah. They claim pole position, remember, back at the race in January with Kuno Whitmer, and they've decided that it's safer to just stay within the bounds of Canada. And to be honest, going back and forth across the border just isn't happening right now. I've got uh, family experience with that. But uh, they've agreed to run in a Canadian Touring Car Championship this year instead of running in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Mm. So that's the first team that I've heard of from that series that's electing not to participate I, in the championship. I did see Carl Thompson posting that they'd moved some people over the border early and set up shop elsewhere so yep. that Compass could still uh, compete. And, and that's another good news story. Listen, nobody, we're not going to call anybody out. We're not going to criticise anybody's decision making because there's a heck of a lot that goes into all of these uh, decisions uh, about whether people are going to go back to racing and when they're going to go back to racing. This year is always going to be a bit of a strange year. Shea, stay with us. We're on Midweek Motorsports, Series 15, Episode 25. Nick Damon uh, and John Hindorf here in the centre of the UK. Shea is... Uh, in the US and up in London is Tim Gray, our executive producer, who is taking us where, Tim? Where? What sort of motor racing are we talking about next? Tom Christensen. 
Oh, yeah. We know him. Yes. He's won Le Mans nine times. He has? We're He's going to the talk most to successful driver ever. We're going to talk about a 14-time Le Mans winner. Ooh. Right. Who might that be, Nick? Not overall winner, and possibly not even on four wheels. On four wheels overall. Trucks? Nope. Motorcycles? No, four wheels, he said. Oh, sorry. Must be a class winner then at Le Mans. Overall winner. We know that. Overall. Manufacturer. Uh, and the tyres. And ah. the tyres. <laughs> Goodyear, Dunlop, Firestone. Goodyear. Um, Goodyear. Goodyear. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, they've announced Just keep mentioning. Just keep, just keep mentioning rubber. Reeling them off. Uh, <laughs> they've announced a partnership with Algarve Pro Racing. This is quite a big deal, actually. Uh, BRM Watchers involved as well, Tim, did I read with, with that? With, yes. Uh, Stuart and Sam. Yes, there are watchers involved as well. You know, and what do we all know about um, timepieces, Nick? Uh, every man likes a good watch. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the uh, the and, luxury and French watch manufacturer is going to produce a limited edition watch inspired by the retro Goodyear livery that will appear on the Algarve Pro Racing car. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, that's very cool. That's uh, very cool. Bernard Richards of BRM said, since the creation of BRM Chronograph 16 years ago, it is the first time we have agreed such a high-profile partnership in the European Le Mans series. Goodyear represents for racers, as well as everyday drivers, a tyre renowned for performance and safety. Got them yeah. on the uh, on the box there, on the 981, original fit. At least these are actually tyres they're supplying rather than just virtual tyres. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, and Simon, Simon Trummer's not going to be driving for them in the opening round, 17th to the 19th of July. No, they have at Luc Duval, Simon yeah. Trummer, John Lancaster, Gabriel No, Aubrey. no, Simon Trummer's not going to be there. That's what I've just said. He's you going didn't to say be Simon Trummer, you said someone else. No, you did. I did say Simon did Trummer. You? Yes. Uh, Andrea Pizzatola. Yes, very good. Hey. He he is. Uh, he was scheduled to join John Falben, Gabriel Aubrey in the number twenty-five car, uh, but he's got huh. a scheduling conflict, so he's uh, he signed up for a bi-continental program, uh, which means he'll be in the ELMS and the United uh, States, uh, and he's committed to the latter because of what Shea was saying earlier on. Ah. It was first to confirm its revised post-COVID calendar and he's out there and can't easily get back, which allows uh, uh, Pizzatola uh, to be in uh, for at least the first race. And I would, I would think, depending on um, quarantine regulations and how that might shake out, uh, he might be in for... A couple of races. Well, the next no DLMS rounds, uh, not far away, August 9th. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Um, he's he's raced for Algarve Pro Series before Asian Le Mans Series. Yes, I think. they raced in that. Uh, and he's uh, he's raced with John Falb, of course, and against Gabriel Aubrey uh, in Formula Cars. Uh, and, I mean, John Falb, very, very quick. Uh, I'll... Uh, am driver. So Stuart Cox and Sam Cox's wife, who've put that together, have uh, at the moment said that that is going to be a one-off, but we'll have to see 
how that works. Mm. But that listen, we're going to be having stories like this, aren't we, Nick, right through the rest of the season because yeah. we've got to fit everybody's season that normally is, well, nowadays it is literally January or at least sort of February time through till November. It's all got to be fit in three and a half, four months. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's non-stop clashes starting now. Well, next week, really. Fourth of July it all kicks off in that weekend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just goes crazy. You know? and, you know, and hopefully it carries on going crazy because that means we're okay with COVID. Uh, and potentially, share there could be quite a few drivers who've committed to IMSA because they've got their, their schedule out early. And as things develop here in Europe, they might not be able to get back. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking right now of a few people that I need to send messages to and say, uh, you're still planning on going to that spa test the week after Daytona? Nope. You might want to think about that a little bit harder. <laughs> Remind, listen, I'm, I'm going to say this now. Everybody, remind me, I said I would never, ever race at Spa in the 24 hours, even if I was asked and even if it was a free drive, because it's the only race <laughs> in the world that scares me. And that, that 65, 70 GT3 cars round Spa actually scares me. And I'm not going to do it. So, and of course, you know, it's I'm, not I'm a 24-hour race now. this year, is it? No. No, that's another story. <laughs> who, who can't work out clocks going back or forward? Back. Well, clearly, yes, I know. I can't. So, we've put out a schedule which starts at a time and finishes at a time, and we forgot the clocks have gone back halfway through it. <laughs> Spring forward, fall back. It's not that difficult, is it? So uh, it's a twenty-five. It's a twenty-five-hour race this year. Is it really? Yeah. Is that really the case? Yes, it will run over 25, 25 hours, but it will still be called the twenty-four hours of Spa. <laughs> Wait, what? Because it's going to start at 2 o'clock and finish at 2 o'clock yes. or whatever time it and starts. And they're 24 hours apart. It, it actually uh. starts <laughs> at uh, 4.30 and finishes at 4.30. Oh, okay, right, okay. Local time. So it'll be really confusing at midnight when all of a sudden it's... it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Or, yeah, it's 2, two, o'clock two a.m. when, when it becomes 1 a.m. <laughs> and, and how much the timing falls over? It'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Um, Who does the timing for SRO? Uh, good question. I don't think it's Al Kamel. No, it's not it Al Kamel. No. <laughs> no. Uh, I've got um, another story to come on to. Who's been on a shopping spree this week? Oh, gosh. You guys know about that? I thought my credit card records were hidden. <laughs> 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 Very good. Uh, give us a clue, Tim. He's French. <sighs> President Macron. No, he's um, a racing driver. Raymond Grosjean. Charles Leclerc. Uh, it is not him, Leclerc, who's Monaco. Uh, Pierre Gasly. It's not Pierre Gasly. Alan Prost. No, think about sports cars as we talk about sports it's cars. Esteban Ocon. No. Patrick Pile. No. Luke Duval. Uh, Nicolas Lapierre. Uh, Nico Lapierre. Okay. Oh. Okay. What's he been buying? Uh, cool racing. Handbag. He's bought. Hang on. I was just about to say, wow. hand, handbags are coming back into, into fashion and people <laughs> have been told to invest in quality handbags. He's bought Cool Racing. A share of it, yes. Oh, okay. But even so, that's pretty impressive. They're uh, going to race in uh, the uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans for the first time this year, as well as uh, the WEC cool and DLMS and the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Yeah, Nico's won it four times. Yes, exactly. Nico wins it every year, doesn't he? Apart from last year. Yes. <laughs> I've got to say, one thing about Nicolas Lapierre, I, I thought he was very unfortunate with how he was treated at Toyota. Yeah. Um, uh, Something odd happened there. 
we've never got yeah. to the bottom of that. But he wasn't happy for quite a while beforehand. He was less happy afterwards when he was quote unquote um, let go. But um, he's been much happier driving P2 cars. He's been he's been back to his healthy smiling self. What's he had to say about it, uh, Tim? Uh, well, he said, "I'm very excited about becoming shareholder." Um, Ever since he was a small boy. But Patrick <laughs> Barbier, the managing director, said, "We've very much enjoyed working with Nicola since he joined Cool Racing in the beginning of 2019. His impetus as a driver has been invaluable, but now we'll benefit even further from his cash, from his wallet, well, and his experience." And he's his experience, yes. He can set a car up, mate, I'll tell you that. That's and he can true, drive a P2 car very, very quickly indeed, uh, to be fair. We've got racing at the weekend, Tim. Uh, yes, proper racing on a proper track where they were doing some testing last week, but I uh, haven't actually had time to look at who was fast or not fast. So uh, it's the uh, Deutsche Langstreckerzeri. No, now, it's not. Question. It's the Nürburgring Langstreckerzeri. Or the Nürburgring Endurance Series. So NLS in German, NES in English, but VLN, as we all know and love it, because it's still organised by VLN. Um, is this round one? Yes, this is round one. Round, or, well, or were they just canned? And this, Because this is actually the proper... Is this the proper date for this event? It's just actually the calendar's caught up with us. Yes, there, there would have been a race on this date anyway. Um, yes. But this... <laughs> becomes round one because there are still going to be nine rounds eventually just squeezed tighter together i believe okay so it is the 51st running of the adenauer adrc rundstrecken trophy one of the lovely things we like about the nurburgring endurance series the, the nls as it's now called um is that the all the local clubs organize around under the larger umbrella if you will of the VLN, a hundred and nearly 150 cars, or just over 150 cars, this weekend is a pretty decent entry. Can't argue with that. I mean, it's, it's massive, and they've got a one-way system as well, so it's almost like being the centre of Coventry. Uh, <laughs> you will not be able to uh, fuel and tyre at the pits. You will fuel in the pits, but then you will go to your paddock area. Through you one will of the not garages. pass go and you will not collect £200. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or Absolutely. €200 Euro even. And before anybody asks, yes, of course, we have uh, full live English language coverage on Saturday. Bruce Jones and Peter Snowden head up our coverage for the VLN this year. I'm going to keep calling it the VLN, so it, it's organised, as I say, under the umbrella of the VLN, and it's still vln.de. Uh, and I, I looked at the entry list earlier on, and I've, I've, I should have left that open, uh, actually. But all the big names are there, uh, including uh, some people who were seeing they might not be there. Oh, my goodness. Something. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's not good, is That's it, not, like, Literally, at this point now, any second now, John's computer's going to explode. It's opening a million. Uh, it's just, I'm watching it. It's opened like 18, 19, 20, 22 windows for no reason at all. Tim, <laughs> help us. Uh, I think what uh, John's so done is anyway. uh, pressed enter instead of uh, whatever he should have done while he had every that? file selected on his untidy desktop. It's gone, it's gone crazy. It's a visual image of... Uh, <laughs> you need yep. me to get an IT expert for you, John? No. Uh, I just need to get We've also got racing the following weekend as well. 
Well, no, before we leave that, there's some big, there's all the big names there this weekend. And time and channel for audio, Tim? Uh, 10.15 uh, UK time on uh, right. RS1. And we'll have sound and vision and, of course, our timing screen <laughs> as well. Still going. Hang Still on. opening windows. <laughs> Control delete. Delete. How do I stop it? I, I think have run away would be the way I would do it. I might have to actually close this down. That it's is top you, it's, it's gaining on you. It's opening fast, you can close them. It's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, next week, we're back at 8 o'clock. Uh, watch out for a special programme as we'll be looking forward to the resumption of IMSA. And Nick and I have just been talking as well about doing uh, a sort of mini Formula One preview uh, as well uh, to uh, welcome back uh, Formula One racing. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> um, and let's hope that goes better than me trying to get the entry list open for... Uh, it's still opening. It's still opening. It's still opening. It's opening a new window for every driver in every one of the hundred cars that are taking part in this race. If it does that, we're in big <laughs> trouble. This, that could be the answer, actually, because it's definitely over a hundred now. Right. I, and then I, it's opening I'm all their photos. Uh... Thank goodness. Um, uh, so that is uh, that's <laughs> ne- we'll be back next week. Thank you to Shea, to uh, Nick, and to Tim, to Andrew, Andrew Cotton from Re- the editor of Racecar Engineering for our big interview as we looked at DTM, and to all of you who have tweeted at Specutainment. The responsible adult was everywhere tonight, and and the food was fabulous, even yes. without your dip. Yeah, yes, we, no, the blue the blue fine. cheese dip was not missed, was it? No, I didn't know it wasn't, didn't know it wasn't there. I was told it wasn't there. We had we had lovely salad. We had uh, what I call cowboy beans, spicy uh, baked beans, and some buffalo chicken with a special buffalo sauce for those fifty-seven apps uh, that were open. Goodness, uh, we'll be back next week on Wednesday. Watch out for special programs, and of course, we'll welcome back the return of IMSA Racing. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Join. Bruce and Peter on Saturday for Nürburgring Full Metal Racing. It's all live here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Chance. There's no time to explain because the llama is shutting windows at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.